Hello and welcome to Connections, the new podcast brought to you by the Young Musicians Foundation. Each episode will feature an accomplished and successful musical artist. Rather than just ask a series of stock questions about their accomplishments and their life stories, we'll explore their beliefs, their philosophies, and the perspectives and the insights that are the true basis of a rewarding and successful life as a musician. So if you're interested in pursuing a career in music, or interested in the history of film, television, recording, or are fascinated by the stories of artists who have reached the height of their professions, Connections is the podcast for you. In today's episode of Connections, I'll be speaking with Mr. Raynor Carroll. Mr. Carroll served as co-principal percussionist with the Los Angeles Philharmonic for 33 years. He has performed under conductors such as Carl Maria Giolini, Andre Previn, Pierre Boulez, and Zubin Mehta. He also serves on the faculty at UCLA and is an active teacher and clinician on timpani, percussion, and West African drumming. He's also an alumnus of YMF's debut chamber orchestra. Raynor Carroll, thank you so much for coming into the studio today, and welcome to Connections. Your career started here in Los Angeles. Have you always lived here? Well, I was born in Baltimore, and family moved out here when I was about four years old. And I grew up here in Pasadena and have stayed in Pasadena ever since. (laughs) Was yours a musical household? Yeah, my dad sang in the church choir. My mom played piano at church, and there were five of us, five kids. Dad would play all types of recordings from jazz, Count Basie, Duke Ellington, and Bolero and Tchaikovsky 1812. and So there was always music in the household. Was there something in the music that your dad played that attracted you to percussion in particular? Uh, you know, I don't think so. There's anything in particular. I mean, there's the saying that the instrument picks you, you don't pick the instrument. I just had this connection and felt this passion for drums from as long as I can remember. Approximately what age? It must have been elementary school, so seven, eight years old. Did your school have a music program at the time? Not for percussion, only for strings, of course. Was it the sound of the drums? Was it the, the rhythm? Everything about the drums, whether it's the sound, the variety of instruments, mm-hmm. the rhythm that they create. And really, I think my first start was in the Boys Club Band. When we spoke with our prior guest, Malcolm, he also mentioned the Boys Club. Yeah, I, I just loved everything about it. I started taking private lessons there from Paul Killian. I actually took other instruments, too. I did a little saxophone, a little baritone, and just because I like music. I mean, and, you know, obviously percussion was my, my true passion, but it was a great thing uh, playing in the band and learning everything I learned from Paul at the time. In retrospect, thinking back on the saxophone and the other, the pitched instruments, um, do you think that ha- that had a bearing on your attraction to the timpani and the other pitched percussion that you played? Uh, I don't think so. No. It was just, I think, as a young person, as a curiosity. I like the sound of the saxophone and like the euphonium. I found that I was always going more to percussion. That was my true, true calling. And was it primarily orchestral percussion? Yes. Uh, I always say because my oldest brother was really into R&B and my middle brother was more so into jazz that I had to do something different. Therefore, I took the symphonic classical route. 
which uh, from my perspective is is the more difficult route, I would say. I wouldn't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Both in uh, the technique required and um, the career path, I imagine, is a, a far narrower. You made the right choice. I'm happy. <laughs> the right path. Yeah. Uh, but I also played in my old, my middle brother's rock band. It's was it a drum kit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a different thing for someone that is thinking more classical, but it, it's a good thing. I think it balances both sides of the brain. Whereas, you know, in classical music, you're reading from the beginning of the page down to the bottom, and when it stops, you stop. But with other styles of music, let's say rock or jazz, it's not written out. It's more how you feel. And Did you find that that informed any of your orchestral playing? You know, because it was so early, I think it's hard for me to draw a parallel. But more recently, uh, I studied West African drumming, and it it definitely was a good balance for me. Because mm. it's the same thing, you know, there's no written music, and it's all what you hear and what you feel. And I feel like that does complement the structured music of Western classical. I mean, the West African tradition is not drumming on its own. It's dancing, singing, and the music together. They always make a point that this is very different. Drumming itself is not done this way. So what, we, what we've taken from it and studied is not the way it's done traditionally, which is very interesting. You know, the whole concept of studying this instrument or this style of playing is not done in the way that we take a book and read it and go to a teacher. More so in Western Africa, the parents bring the student to the potential teacher and ask can you take him on? And the teacher says yes. And the parents give the teacher some cola nuts as partial payment. And the, the young student actually just hangs out at the teacher's home and does not literally take a drum lesson, but you know may go to the store and get him his food or whatever and watch his wife cook. And when he plays, he'll observe, but he doesn't really take a lesson per se as we do, but he observes his whole life and his whole lifestyle. Now, getting back to your childhood, your uh, upbringing in Pasadena, thinking back, is there a particularly influential moment that uh, really opened your eyes and your ears to music? Yeah, one very influential occurrence was the Los Angeles Philharmonic played at my high school, Pasadena High School, and Zubin Mehta conducted. That's a big deal, especially back then, to have the music director actually conduct a performance in the community. And I remember watching the performance and, uh, of course, have keeping my eye on the percussion the whole time and very impressed with what they did. And I, you know, I said at that point, I don't know whether, whether I was a sophomore or a junior, that's what I want to do, that's what I can do, and that's what I will do. You know, coming from a non-professional family, my parents were very supportive, but they didn't know what direction to take. One thing that <laughs> I often tell a story about, uh, one summer, I asked the band director if I could bring the timpani home. And he said, sure, you know, there's no school in the summer, go ahead. So a friend of mine that in high school had a truck, so we loaded up five timpani, brought them to the house, put them into my living room. As I look back, I'm very, you know, taken with my mom and dad allowing me to bring home five drums and 
play them in the family living room, you know, over the summer. But that was very influential. You see, percussion is very different from the violin, the trumpet, the flute. You can almost practice those instruments anywhere. You can go into your backyard. But with percussion, you know, the large instruments, marimba, bass drum, right. <laughs> timpani, five drums, it's, it's not the same. So having that access made a huge difference, I think, at that time for me. Uh, so anyway, focused on that. And I believe my senior year, we did an all-state, uh, sorry, an all-city orchestra or band and orchestra. And I remember William H. Hill, who was the director at Cal State LA, came and conducted. Uh, maybe at a break, he pulled me aside and said, you know, you're very talented. And are you interested in Cal State LA? I said, well, yeah, who teaches there? He said, Mitchell Peters teaches there. He offered me a scholarship and basically led the way to me going to Cal State LA and studying with Mitchell Peters. There's a mentor situation. He, he recognized you, saw your talent, saw the preparation that you had given yourself through the practice, through the, the desire uh, to take home five timpani drums <laughs> and spend the summer with them. So some people would say that was luck. It doesn't sound like luck to me because if you weren't prepared for that moment, it doesn't matter how lucky you were to be. And you wouldn't have been in that moment had you not focused your interest in that direction in the first place. It was a part of my life. It was a natural progression. I, I, you know, in those days, I remember practicing a lot, even though I didn't have the direct uh, instruction and direction, but I just did whatever I could. I remember watching the Boston Symphony, Boston Pops on TV whenever they appeared and watching Vic Firth, the timpanist there, and, you know, and going to the Hollywood Bowl, to concerts, and just learning as much of the repertoire on my own. No one told me to do this, but I just pursued this as my passion. I thought it made sense that I should know these pieces. That's that's really interesting, because in my experience, I mean, in careers in music, even outside of the orchestral world, that is the kind of passion that, that makes a career happen. I mean, you go to, you sneak into the jazz club to watch Buddy Rich play uh, when he's in town and um, you listen to every record that you can. And, you know, for high school kids right now, I mean, they have opportunities that, that we didn't have. Exactly. They can see anything that was ever recorded, you know, with a quick YouTube search. But sometimes that can be overwhelming. What advice would you have for a very serious, let's say, high school musician who was seeking a career in music in general? Yeah, the first thing I would say is to find a good teacher, a well-respected teacher, because that teacher will be able to give you direction. And you can call him a teacher and or a mentor if you're fortunate to find someone that, you know, will have that close relationship. But that's the most important thing. Find a teacher that can give you that direction. Second of all, you know, spend a lot of time with your instrument. I always tell my students it's a thing where the two of you need to become the best friends. And you can't put a number of hours on it, whether it's 7,000 hours or 12,000. You can't say it's But not until you get to that point where you feel like you're friends mm. <laughs> do you then reach the next level. So spend the time with your instrument. Practice. Not only practice, but make sure you practice the correct way. You know, don't practice making mistakes because you're just building in wrong habits and you don't want to do that. So that's why it helps to have a good teacher to direct you with your practice. I think a good teacher can tell after you've sat down for 30 seconds whether you've you're whether you're ready for this lesson. You know, mm -hmm. you can try to BS and give excuses or whatever, but I think a good teacher can tell how much you've how much time you've put into, you know, your lesson material. So 
you got to respect your teacher and respect the time that he's giving to you. Very important. Make friends with your instrument. I hadn't heard that before. I think that's that's a great way to think about it. Respect your teacher. I mean, not in the sense that because he's accomplished and older than you. No, respect his time because he's giving you that time. It's a time you share. I often correlate uh, teaching with or students going to a teacher also with going to the doctor. If you're not open with a doctor and tell him exactly what's going on, I mean, he can see and pretty much, you know, check you out and give you the the typical physical, but it helps. If you're very open, you say, you know what, I've been practicing this for all these hours and this is still not happening. You know, then maybe he can give you something. But if you don't tell him those type of things, and it's a little bit more difficult and will delay your progress. So after high school, you went to Cal State LA? I had a great experience there. I actually majored both in performance and composition. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I've always liked to write. So Is that something that has been kind of a through line for you? Yeah, my senior year, I was outstanding composer arranger, I'm proud to say. It's actually, to me, that's just incredibly impressive to have both sides of that equation as a musician, and then you add the third element to that, composing and arranging. That can only come from inside, from a deep connection to what it is and your love of, of, of what you're doing, because I can't imagine putting in the time any other way to be able to do that. You know, whether you're in high school or you're in conservatory in college or university, wherever, there are going to be times when you're offered to go to a party or to do something else. You know, it sure helps if you're at ease with just spending that time with your instrument versus spending time with your friends or whatever, which is all good. you got to balance your life out. But you've got to put in maybe not as much time as your neighbor, but maybe more. You've got to really love it. It's got to be your passion. At least it sure helps. It's not that you're told to practice. Right. Maybe you're told what to practice, but you're not told that you have to practice such and such hours. It just comes to you. You just you do it because you want to. The way I take it, you did it because you had to. Because yeah. something inside you compelled you to do it. I mean, all the artists that I admire, it, it, it comes from that place. It's almost a, a compulsion to do that. Yeah, my wife will kid me about being so focused, being so driven, you know, use the correlation with possibly others in, in school, mm-hmm. change their major or, you know, have many or just don't know what they want to do. Well, I was the opposite. I knew what I wanted to do and I went for it. And, and just to circle back a little bit, the temptations of, you know, a social life in college and in high school to spend time with your friends. Going back to the metaphor, you're spending time with your friend, too. <laughs> it should be your best friend. <laughs> I think. I mean, I remember at Cal State LA, I remember it vividly, spending hours and hours in the practice room. And I remember at some point, I don't remember exactly what year it was, the timpani became my best friend. And it, you know, it's not like a light went off, but just over time, it's like, okay, I know how it works. It knows how, what I do to it. And we just became best friends. At about what time did you find the YMF debut orchestra? It was right about that time. I was, I believe, a sophomore. They had announced openings for the following year. And my teacher, Mitchell Peters, uh, helped me prepare the material for the audition. I did the audition, as I recall, it was at Cal State Northridge. And Myung Wung Chung was the incoming music director. So I had the audition with him. It was, went very well, and I was invited to play. And that was the beginning of a great 
relationship. How long were you with debut? Uh, so I believe I joined the orchestra in 77. So I stayed until I won the audition with the LA Phil, which was the fall of 83. So that would have been six six seasons, yeah. But I'm intrigued with, with what it was like for you at that time. At that time, I believe we had weekly rehearsals, uh, if not Saturday, maybe Sundays. The rehearsals were not just for a program, but we would also have some reading sessions where we'd read through Beethoven, Mozart Symphony, etc., cetera, uh, which, of course, I found wonderful you know, to actually play the repertoire. And that's one of the emphasis that my teacher made on me is, you know, it's one thing to study the standard excerpts and to, you know, work with your teacher with those, but it's another thing to actually play them in their context in an orchestra. You cannot beat that. You know, that's the best experience. And that's what I benefited the most from YMF, those mm. six years of playing all of this great repertoire at the time, whether it's a Beethoven Symphony, Scheherazade, and, you know, Prokofiev Symphony. And it was a weekly rehearsal. That was weekly rehearsals through the regular school year. We didn't have sessions during the summer. And at that time, because I've noticed looking at the history, different t- periods of time where it was a, an experienced professional music director, um, and a possible associate conductor who was under that person's tutelage, and sometimes a more of a, a younger, less experienced conductor. Um, how, how was it at, at that time for you? Oh, it was great. We got great conductors. Yeah, it was a very great thing. Uh, I can remember at one point, uh, Myung Wong Chung bringing in a piece to read through with us that he was going to do with the Philharmonic the next week. And so you were in debut when um, you saw that there was a call for a a percussion position in the Phil. Of course, your instructor was um, already with the Phil. Was it a mutual decision that you came to with your instructor or did you approach him? He approached me. Oh, (laughs) it was was his decision. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Because my feeling and attitude at that time was that I'm not ready. I'm not ready for something like this audition for the L.A. Philharmonic. And, uh, but, you know, he had confidence in me. He'd work with me for, you know, however, however long it had been at that time. And, you know, he said, you really should do this. You're an excellent player, and I'll help you with this and that, and we'll learn the repertoire. But obviously, for me, without that guidance, I don't think it would have happened. And I hope that I would have gotten into an orchestra eventually because it's my passion. For me, it was just everything kind of lined up and the right time, the right place. They had actually had an audition the year before, but didn't fill it. They didn't find someone. Mm -hmm. So I didn't audition for that one. So it's like this second time they had this audition, my teacher said, you should do this. And I did. Uh, How long did you prepare before the actual audition date? My guess is maybe there was five or six months when it was first announced. It didn't sound like you were incredibly nervous at the audition. I felt good. I felt good. I don't remember a lot because it's been a while. (laughs) But I do remember at some point being downstairs in the music center in the lounge and the personnel manager coming down. And there were two of us that were in the finals and we had both played and he actually asked the other person to go up. So usually that means that person, not necessarily usually, but I'd say typically the person that the person that goes up first is the person that actually won the job. Anyway, he came back down and shook my hand and said, congratulations. And the personal manager asked me to go up. So I'm like, what's going on? So anyway, I went upstairs uh, into the auditorium and Carlo Maria Giolini 
walked up to me and shook my hand and said, congratulations. That was, to say the least, I was blown away. But that wasn't the end of my audition. I had won that portion of the audition. The next part was to play a week with the orchestra. So after I played, you know, three or four performances of that. Performances. Yes, yes, rehearsals and performances. After the final performance, I went up to the offices while the committee met with Maestro. They called me in and he did the same. He said, welcome. Again, I was blown away. (laughs) (laughs) And did they offer you the co-principal position? Yeah, that was the position that was open. Yes. Alongside my teacher, Mitchell Peters. Yeah. And how did how was he about that? Well, that made it so much easier for me. I mean, I was 25 years old. I think the oldest member of my section, Walt Goodwin, was close to retirement, so he was maybe 60, 60, so more than twice my age. Right. So having Mitch there to help me with various things, whether it's assigning parts or finding instruments, etc., made a world of a difference for me. Obviously, also with with the repertoire that's coming up or whatever, how to get into this big juggernaut of a L.A. Phil coming from YMF debut orchestra and AYS orchestra, training orchestras, now in a professional orchestra, where it's so different. In the Philharmonic, and it's, it's really hard to see this when you're looking from the outside or even when you're in it, now that I'm retired, I can see it clear, more clearly. We really do go through a lot of repertoire. I mean, one week we'll do three or four pieces. Then the next week it's another program. Then the next week another program. And then possibly a different, more pops-oriented program Friday, Saturday. Having my teacher there made it so much easier. A great transition from a training orchestra to a professional orchestra. I think it's a real testament to your teacher. I mean, there's always a certain amount of vulnerability that one has, especially when the student perhaps surpasses the teacher and... It's always the big-hearted teachers, and I'm not saying this was the case. It's the true mentors, it's the true teachers that are not only okay with that, but that's what they want. That's the outcome they're looking for. Yeah. So in the in the fill, I mean, that must have also just been incredibly time-consuming. You know, the change in gear from the training orchestras, the the demands on you were just increased tenfold. How did how, what was that like? This is what I wanted to do, so I, I didn't look at it that way. You know, if you look at our printed schedule of four rehearsals every week and maybe four, three or four concerts. On paper, it's not a lot of hours, maybe 20, 21 hours of rehearsal performance, but it's the preparation time, you know, whether it's learning your part. And for me, being principal, it's getting the music from the library, going through all the parts, making a list of instruments we need on stage, making a list of instruments that need to be rented or whatever, and then marking all the parts for each of the other players. I mean, it's time-consuming. And did you have to contract, like if the percussion section was expanded for a particular case? Yeah, you make recommendations to the personnel manager. To We need two people this week. We need one person the next week. We need three extras the following week. So there's a lot involved, but that's me. I mean, my, my wife will tell you, I like these kinds of puzzles mm-hmm. and dropping the pieces in the, in the right spot and then having it all you know, all come out just right. You seem like the kind of person that on the surface is relaxed, focused. You look very difficult to sort of knock off center. Yeah, I, yeah. I'd say so. Yeah. I get that from my dad, I'd say. It helps to be calm. <laughs> so if we're not born with these characteristics, perhaps that's something that we should try to cultivate in yeah. ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I, 
much more high strung. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which I got from my dad. Just quickly, my own son, who's a fledgling professional musician in New York City now, at an early age decided he wanted to, to play music. You know, I, I told him a story that my teacher told me, and he said, you know, when I was, my teacher told me that, you know, in my 20s, and he, this is more in the jazz world, I was on the road so much that I literally didn't have an address in my 20s. It was all hotel rooms. And I said, wow, Max, you know, that, that sounds really, that sounds really hard for me. What's that sound like to you? And he goes, it sounds like heaven. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. You, I mean, other people might say, oh, my God, this all this responsibility, all this. But to you, it, it was heaven, That's wasn't fun. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say the most challenging programs typically were the John Williams uh, concerts that we would do at the Bowl once a year. Uh, and because, well, several things. I mean, first of all, because we didn't do three or four of his pieces. We did 15, 16 of his, or a mixture of, you know, soundtrack uh, excerpts or whatever. So the challenge is with so many pieces, we have to, or I have to choreograph going from one piece to the next. Because, you know, in a concert, there isn't 20 minutes in between each piece. There's two or three minutes. So I have to figure out not only what each person plays on each piece, but make sure that whatever station instruments that they play pretty much stays the same throughout the program or at least throughout each half because that makes things go a little bit smoother on stage because you know the worst thing you want is you know conductor finishes a piece he's now talking to the audience and you hear a cymbal drop or a (laughs) stick falls and the percussionists are running around trying to set up for the next that can't happen yeah so all that responsibility basically lies on how I map out the entire program. Uh, another very challenging program we did a while back was the Frank Zappa 200 mm. Motels. That was about two or three years ago. That was probably the most percussion ever uh, I've had to deal with in a program. And that was just that one piece. And we did it just that once. But in addition to a full orchestra with eight percussionists, each percussion playing, I counted mine, I played 21 instruments, each playing at least that many. There was a choir in the back, and then up front was a rock band. So it literally did not fit on stage. So we had to make some compromises. How did I miss this? Well. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. We had to make some compromises with what we had on stage because literally he wrote for like seven or eight bass drums, which normally you have one bass drum. (laughs) Two is okay, but seven? At what point in time did you start your publishing company? Uh, That was in the 90s, uh, mid-90s. There had always been a void in percussion Uh, excerpts, repertoire books. So I thought of the idea of putting together these compilations. Uh, Went to the Percussive Arts Society International Convention and Carl Fisher uh, uh, decided to distribute worldwide and it's taken off since then. But it was because of a void. That's how you do it. You you recognize a need in the marketplace and then right. and you fill it. To have a career in music, oftentimes um, somebody doesn't have the preparation and, and opportunity that you did at age 25. So you have to put together a career where you know, there's some teaching in there, there's some gigging in there, there's some perhaps other aspect 
And you know, music publishing is is one of those areas to pursue. But your greatest likelihood of success is to do exactly what Raynor did. Just uh, it sounded like intrinsically recognize the need for something and fill it, and that's going to increase your likelihood of success. And you you are your own best sort of target audience. If you find that you are looking for whatever it is, percussion books, instruction books, and you recognize that that there's a need for it, then you can be the one to fill it too. So it's something good to be to be mindful of as you put your career together. During your time with the film, 33 years, what are some of the highlight moments of that for you as you look back? Hey, there were many. One thing that stands out is doing the Messiaen Opera, St. Francis of Assisi, conducted by Esapeka Salonen. That, I believe, was 1992. And we rehearsed, uh, I think, for a few weeks here in Los Angeles, and then we were in residence in Salzburg. We were in residence there for a month. We did some normal, regular orchestra concerts at first, all the while rehearsing and putting together this long opera. And the last two weeks that we were there, it was just the opera performances. So not only was it a long opera, six and a half hours, but there were three percussion soloists, and I was one of the soloists, so I was actually, you know, for percussionists, this is very different, up front in front of the concertmaster. That was an intense experience. I mean, very difficult music for percussionists because he, Messiaen writes very intricate mallet parts. Another highlight, I would say, would be doing the Stravinsky Soldier's Tale with Pierre Boulez. Yeah, and that we did in Ojai at the Ojai Music Festival. To me, anything I did with Boulez was memorable and quite an experience because of who he was. Incredible musician, incredible conductor, incredible mind, and the kindest, sweetest gentleman. Although he heard everything and he knew what was going on, there's always a story about in the right of spring, the fourth trumpet was playing a wrong note and he stopped and he could hear that and he corrected that. He was just a gentleman about it, you know. He would not talk you down, he would not disrespect you, and all performances with him were most memorable. But in particular, The Soldier's Tale, which is one of my favorite pieces and one of my favorite con- uh, composers, Stravinsky. I think another thing that sort of stands out about your career is your openness to not only openness, but your uh, lifelong involvement with new music and the Greenbrella Ensemble. When did you join that in relationship to coming on board with the film? You know, as a percussionist, it's a necessity, you know, because it's the essence, I would say, of 20th century music is percussion, mm-hmm. you know. 20th century is percussion. I, I, I don't think there's anybody that would argue that, right. you know. So being a percussionist, you have to embrace new music. It's a learning experience for us, too. The most difficult thing about a contemporary piece that has, you know, like the Zappa, a multiple setup, once you can figure out how to set this so you can play the next instrument and you can play this while you play this instrument, that's really the most difficult part of it. Because a lot of times in these types of setups, let's say you're playing marimba, snare drum, and a kunga, you don't have time to change mallets. And you cannot, or you should not necessarily play all those those instruments with the same mallet. So we kind of have to decide inside which one do we have to compromise. So that's a difficult part. You never think about this if you're not right. a percussionist. Well, hopefully you don't. And that's what we want. We want, to, well, at least yeah. I can say, I want it to look like it's easy. It's calm inside. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm fretting, where is that one mallet? Where did I put it? Or whatever. But th- that's the idea. We don't want it to 
seem like it's the most difficult thing we've, we have to do. So at this point, you're a young man, retired from the fill, you know, looking out the, at the next sort of phase for you. What are, what are some of your plans? Yeah, uh, number one is to continue teaching at UCLA. Uh, you know, my passion is music, so that doesn't only mean performing or writing, but also sharing, as in teaching with the younger generation now. You know, my experience and what I've learned is what was passed down to me. So I am very enthusiastic about doing that now with the younger generation. I really enjoy it. And I enjoy different levels of students, too. It's a challenge when you get a student that isn't quite as advanced or doesn't quite have the technique. It's a great challenge to see what I can come up with to have that level go up for them. It's a rewarding experience when you see something like that and that passion light up in them. It, it makes it all the worthwhile. That's the through line, too, is the mentorship and then the preparation and the success and then the mentorship. You know, I had a teacher tell me once that, you know, everybody talks about there's so much competition in music. You know, there's always room at the top. At the top level, there is there is no competition because excellence is a rare and a beautiful thing. It's, it's all in the middle that everybody's competing. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's too much mediocrity. Yeah. <laughs> to expect that excellence from yourself early on and then to expect the same excellence from yourself as a teacher or mentor now. I mean, it's just it's organic to who you are. So I also I had a sabbatical, I believe, 98, 99 or so. And I started studying West African drumming at that time. So mm-hmm. that's been a passion of mine since then. I studied locally in Lemert Park and just... Again, it's just a part of my passion, drums, yeah. and this is a different type where there's no music, and it, it balanced my brain, I felt. Mm. So since then, I've been addicted to it, <laughs> admit <laughs> an addiction, and uh, so much so that I would have workshops at my house, have a Sunday concert with the Philharmonic at 2, and at 6 o'clock, there'd be African drumming happening at my house. <laughs> Quite often. Uh, The last year or so, it's kind of trailed off, and I hope now to pick that up again. But that's one of my strong passions, too, that will take up a portion of my time. And if um, somebody wants to find out more about your publishing company or um, West African uh, drumming clinics or other activities that you might be um, pursuing now or in the future, is there a website or a Facebook that you'd like to tell us? Uh, There is a website for my publishing. That's batterymusic.com, B-A-T-T-E-R-I-E. Well, Rainer, thank you so much for your time. It's just been an inspiration to me to hear you talk about your your experience with music and your passion for it, and I'm sure it's going to be like that for uh, for the listeners. And uh, on behalf of YMF, thank you so much for all that you do. I will tell people that Rainer continues to mentor uh, and help us, the Young Musicians Foundation. He, he helps us find percussionists for the debut orchestra, and uh, he gives really generously of his time. And uh, we're, we're really grateful for that. We're glad you're part of the family. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. You've been listening to Connections, produced by the Young Musicians Foundation. Our theme music was composed by Bruce Broughton. For more information on the Young Musicians Foundation, please contact our website, ymf.org. My name is Walter Zoy, and we'll see you next time.